0: radio shows you love from the people you know. This is
1: Sam Talks Technology. Hello, good afternoon, Marlo. Hello, the web. How are we all? It's Wednesday, yes. It's Sam Sethi here again, and we're here to talk technology and business. And I'm really pleased to say I'm joined today by my good friend, Benjamin Ellis. How are you, Benjamin?
2: I'm good. Absolute pleasure to be here.
1: Good. So, what's on the show this week? Well, um... We're obviously going to find out a little bit more about what Benjamin does, which I think you'll find fascinating. But also, I want to talk about uh, what's been going on. Government versus Gaffer is what I'm going to title this show. GAFA standing for Google, Amazon, Facebook and, uh, and, well, Apple, I suppose, is the other A. Um they seem to be under attack from governments all side we've got chapter 11 and chapter 13 EU regulations that will affect both all of those really uh the UK parliament announced this week that they're attacking pretty much social media and Facebook so we're going to talk about is it fair what's going on against all of these internet behemoths or are they actually out of control and they need to be reined back in But before we get on with all of that, and there's lots more to talk about, there's something called Mirror World, which I want to talk to you about today, which Kevin Kelly came out and discussed this week in Wired magazine. But before any of that today, I'm going to let Benjamin introduce himself. So who are you and what
2: do you do? Sure. Well, I'm Benjamin Ellis and I'm CEO of a company called Social Optic. So social is about people, their their attitudes and opinions and interactions and optic, which is about clear, transparent measurement. So it's really taking the opinions that people have and making those visible and that's usually in terms of either helping to improve education which is something we do a lot uh, helping companies improve their culture um, or helping to improve how companies serve society around them and we use um basically large data sets to to do that and technology to visualize that and help humans make better decisions that's so my day job. are you a data scientist well i'm always very hesitant <laughs> with that term so i get called that a lot um you know i think what i do is help people make sense of data because sometimes it is is quite hard to understand what's going off behind the figures so that's what i do um, but it's in the context of a bigger background in in technology and in company culture
1: cool and so we're obviously going to talk about a lot about data how facebook manipulates data and google and apple and all those so it'll be really useful to get your opinion on what what's going on in that space and whether whether they're doing anything wrong you know maybe you think they're Tickety boo and doing everything right, um, but how did you get into this mad mad world of technology? I mean, where did it all begin for young Benjamin?
2: Uh, well, young Benjamin wanted to be an engineer, so I set off on that path. Um, I actually got my first computer. My my father was quite a, a visionary entrepreneur, I'd, I'd say actually in his own way, okay, and got cool. me a computer at nine years old and started writing software then. And that's in the days of for those who are uh, the older amongst us, the days of the ZX eighty and all these sorts of things, which for people perhaps newer to the world Mr Sinclair <laughs> literally the last uh, century in the early days of computing um, started off in education, I was a computing lecturer, and then worked almost by accident for a Silicon Valley company that got acquired by Cisco Systems, and it was one oh, of the okay. very first acquisitions, so the very early days of Cisco. And worked with them, um, and was. So, there, how
1: many people would be in Cisco roughly it, around then?
2: It was literally a few dozen folks in in Europe.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? People think of these big, massive companies now because. Me and my wife joined Microsoft in the very, very early days and we had the upstairs left hand side of a building. There's about thirty or forty of us then. It was just crazy numbers.
2: Yeah, and I think it's one of these there's two sides of that. I think they come into what we're going to talk about, is that you know, on the one side a lot of these huge companies, they started off as a small company. There are you know a few people, they're a tiny business. On the flip side, there are some very small companies out there right now, tech companies, that are gonna be you know, tens of thousands of, of people and, and influencing society that are probably, you know, around here somewhere not far away yes
1: so okay so you're in cisco what was your role
2: in cisco so i was what they lovingly called a consulting engineer so that was the person really who who stood in between business people trying to solve problems and engineers building the, the products
1: yeah, i was the same i was a systems engineer as they called it in microsoft same sort of role
2: Absolutely. It's the, the engineer that doesn't look at their shoes was what I was told. It's like a little bit of an extrovert, so off you go. Yeah. Um, and I've always loved that, although I was kind of grounded in technology. I looked after the internet technologies and that was a, a global responsibility. So I had the privilege of literally travelling around the world, helping the early internet service providers you know, design their networks and, and build out the infrastructure that we have today, which was an amazing privilege and learnt a lot on that journey.
1: So you, you, were, you were telling me earlier that you also uh, went through an acquired companies as well.
2: Yeah, so Cisco grew a lot through acquisition, and, and that was partly what got me interested in company culture, because we'd, you know, we'd acquire these amazing startups and try and work out how do we keep these people, how do we integrate their products with what we've got, um, and it gave me an overview as well of what, what makes for a successful startup, which is always something that you know, has always fascinated me, still fascinates me. Um, you know, how do you become the next Google or Facebook? I'm sure is a question for lots of folks. But... Have you got the answer to that? Well, it's uh, still working on that <laughs> I was going to say because
1: if you have it's better than the lottery numbers if you haven't got those i'll have the answer to how you make a successful startup
2: i, I might let some secrets out as we, oh, as we go along shh, about don't
1: that? tell anyone else obviously i'll turn the mics off when you do <laughs> right yeah. um one of the things you did tell me about was uh in your spare time which i'm amazed you have um you decided to go to the open university
2: i did so i, I mentioned that i got very fascinated by the people side of things and actually most of the problems weren't technology problems those we could solve um but there was this kind of wetware on the ends um, that was always a little little bit awkward and didn't quite do what you expected it to do. So I I decided two things. One, I was really interested in how learning could happen online. And again, this is going back quite a few years now. So the Open University at the time, and and still is, I think, kind of leading the charge in terms of delivering education in, in a digital environment, and, you know, it was a really great experience. One, I went back and did a new degree, psychology, completely different, you know, backgrounds, uh, An engineer writing essays, which you know, anyone who, who runs around with engineers will know that's not a... But that's your left and right side brains, really, isn't it? Well, yes, so we, we can argue whether your brains divided left and right, but, um, <laughs> but absolutely, okay. it was a great... Shock, I- horror news, there is no <laughs> left and right side brain? I there physically is, but um, people are more complicated than that. Okay. And, and that was that was the... The learning and it, it turned out to be quite timely because I think a lot of what's going off in tech now it, on, on two sides on one side we're starting to use the Psychological understanding we've got to shape technology, and there's good things about that and bad things about that. And on the other side, if if we do things well, actually, if we understand how people work, we can make technology that works really well for them. Um, and a lot of the big tech companies are starting to wake up to that now as as well.
1: Well, I think one of the things that um, people fear is AI automation, joblessness, if that is a word. Uh, I'll, I'll look that up soon. Um, and so, because of that problem. Um, People are now beginning to decide to change it to have a people-centred, people centered, uh, people uh, driven view of technology rather than a technology and people at the periphery.
2: Absolutely, it's starting to stick people in, in the middle of it and, and think about them first. And again, I think part of the wave of the stories that we're seeing now is actually people starting to ask well what's the impact of technology on society um, what's the role of these technology businesses in terms of the impact on individuals and an impact on the communities that they serve okay hey steve how are you uh good how are you <laughs> good steve steve kaminsky
1: Minsky, as i learned last week not kaminsky karminsky uh steve's joined us uh Another another one, wonderful journey in, was it, Steve?
3: Uh, I got caught behind a, a truck delivering str- or tractor delivering straw bales, which very high doesn't tech go, doesn't go very fast and doesn't allow people to overtake. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we just started, so
1: uh, we're just catching up on who and what Benjamin is and, and where we are. But I think. Um, We'll come back a lot to finding out about how and what you do today relates to the news this week, I think. It's very uh, timely. <laughs> so what I want to do is start off with Monday, we had a UK Parliament report came out, um, which was rather scathing of uh, Mr Zuckerberg, which unsurprising there. Um, especially as he didn't turn up to several requested meetings. Um, The report basically came from uh, the ICO, the Information Commissioners Officer, um, which suggested Facebook needs to change its business model. Uh, Surprise, surprise, didn't anyone know its business model was basically um, accessing our data and selling it to other people? That's what its business model is. The the expression, I guess, is if you don't pay for it, you are the product, aren't you? So um, that isn't a surprise to any of us in tech that Facebook's model was that, but maybe it did come to, uh, to the warning of government. They called it, uh, they said, um, the business model needs to change. Warning, the company risks burning out user trust for good. Now, I think, uh, where do you stand? Are you, are you both trusting of Facebook these days? Do you think they're a lovely, soft, cuddly company that you're happy to keep using? Or are you going to delete them?
3: I mean, I will continue using Facebook. I fully understand uh, that they are data mining and that their whole business model is based on data mining and based on your social graph and what your interactions with your your friends and... Also, the um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever bought anything which uses the Facebook network. No, and then you literally it tracks you through every, and you'll just get the same advert popping up on but, every site you visit.
1: But retargeting happens every. Yeah, site.
3: absolutely, but Facebook Facebook just do it to extreme, and it's just. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, every, every group you go onto, suddenly that advert will pop up. And you know, it's, and, it, and and in some ways, it's really annoying because even if you've bought something, you will still get. Well, that's the failure of retargeting, yeah, isn't it? You'll get.
1: Amazon, Amazon actually might fix that. Um, the Amazon ad network is now the third largest ad network behind Google and Facebook, and Amazon's the one company who knows when you've made the purchase. So um, from what I've been reading about their retargeting software, um, it'll actually stop retargeting you once you've made a verified purchase, which is actually
2: useful for advertisers. Im- improve life a little bit. And it's it's interesting that we kind of veer off to the, the advertisers because I you know very definitely in this uh, government report, it wasn't a thumbs up for Facebook. They definitely didn't hit the like button, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, but it, it is quite easy to point the finger at Facebook, but you also have to look kind of more broadly and that, yes, it's a platform and it enables advertising and it enables you know, large-scale tracking, but a lot of the things that we've seen have actually been down to advertiser behaviour and behaviour of people around the platforms, you know, things like Cambridge Analytica. So it's an interesting one. As, is it as simple as just Facebook or do we need to look more broadly at, at how the system around it is working?
1: Well, the report points out that Facebook categorically broke all its privacy policies broke uh, distrust and disinformation it didn't have to give access to developers to the extent of information that it did um, which Cambridge Analytica fundamentally from what I've read didn't do anything illegal they just exploited what Facebook gave them as a loophole to get through
3: so uh, to a degree, I mean, they they also y- utilised the um, research of some whoever the professor was, and
1: the Russian professor, at yeah, Cambridge, yeah. who who
3: is who then whose name escapes me, but. yeah, but he wrote an app which people then uh, 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 agreed to run, Yeah, so nothing and, illegal, so so far. no, no, but then they, you know, it was the passing on that data to Cambridge Analytics, which we, uh, Cambridge Analytica, which we, they sh- he shouldn't have done,
1: yes. Okay, that's the illegal part, or the super illegal.
3: But then also, you know, the actual data mining that Cambridge Analytica were doing were, you know, was obviously found to be completely beyond the scope of what they were meant to be doing.
1: Yeah, well, I also say though, we are we just trying to uh, put in place? I mean, does every time that facebook does something there's a mea culpa from mark zuckerberg i'm sorry we'll get better next time but i also do have a modicum of uh sympathy for him because we're breaking new ground with this every time you know he doesn't know what he doesn't know going forward so um now that we have for example every time a political ad is placed in our stream it tells us who bought the ad. Now. That has to happen offline but nobody had mandated it legally online so he didn't break any laws and everyone's going in hindsight oh but he should have done that and he should have done this but should he
3: did he have to i, I don't think he had to i think there was a they they definitely would have known a lot of this data mining was was taking place therefore Should they have... They were in some ways complicit because you can't access that much data off the platform and not know it's happening. Um, Now, you know, could they have worked out that that was being used for nefarious reasons? Probably yes. Did they want to because they were being paid for access to that data? that was part of their business model so and it's very interesting
2: because <laughs> it has come down to, to culture here and I think the thing that we're learning now is you know, technology lets us move really really fast and we're now in a tech world Whereas, one of these companies I can come up with a product idea and I can have it deployed by the afternoon and that's great it used to take a little bit longer and that gave people the time to re- to reflect and I think one of the things that probably comes out of this is that there does need to be some oversight there needs to be somebody outside of the companies who can go hang on a second folks is this really a good thing to be doing and and, and in the valley there's a little bit of a conversation now around kind of abuse testing or stress testing ideas so that before you come out with a product you go so if somebody wanted to do something bad with this could they do that and how do we build into protection so they don't because the challenge is when you're inside of these organisations they're all trying to help they're all trying to make the world a better place which is great um, but, but sometimes times it doesn't always end up that way and you can be really blindsided to it i think facebook's definitely been you know it's struggled with that not that it's been perfect but it's definitely been blindsided i think by a lot of the things that have happened but
1: the people who are developing this new world that we're creating sit in a bubble you know they don't live in the uh food bank world they don't live in the world where you know just keeping your jobs the main goal um they're all oh we can engineer it all out and you can be free to be creative and go and do artwork and you know are they you know, um, are they in dire need of a bit of realism injected into it or what's happening in the real world around them? Because they are developing these worlds to be utopian and and actually what they're creating is a dystopian-type world, you know, creating
3: chaos. They are and they aren't. I think they're trying to create a utopian world with external influences that bend it to, to their will um, and it's those external influences that are malicious factors, it's not the actual platform itself that's trying to be malicious it's then people exploit
1: Yeah, so are they just naive then? I mean, are you saying oh look, in a pr- beautiful perfect world this would happen, and they just ignore the fact that bad people exist?
3: I think they <laughs> I mean, is <laughs> I, that I, the I, point? No, I think they, they've built a platform that they expect to be used in a in a, in a utopian manner, knowing full well that actually they don't Really police it because they are making money for every person that for every bad actor there is that is utilizing the platform in a bad manner, but they're being paid for it. So, do they do, you know it's uh, as um <coughs> I said, it's like you know, should there be an external um moderation or, or something external so that I don't see it working. So the, and this is the challenge, isn't
2: it? Because you, where you come to with these things is you inevitably f- feel like some form of regulation is required and that's you know, that's definitely a thing. And then the question becomes, well, what what should that look like? And the, the interesting thing is that one of the things, you know, there's two things we, we look to. Oftentimes we look to the media to inform us about you know, when we need to be cautious about things or, or stay away from something or question it. And, of course, Facebook is inextricably linked into the the media puzzle and it's very difficult because similarly media is linked into it as media depends on on advertising revenue it's very difficult to have an independent voice that that says to these big tech companies hey can we stop doing this please or should we think about this or do this a bit more slowly
1: so uh, is
2: facebook a media
1: company is twitter a media company is google a media company
3: (laughs) that distribution Companies.
1: That's what they want to be, (laughs) (laughs) but are
3: they? Well, no. I mean, you know, this comes, you know, all the way back to when ISPs is in 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 the US. You have a common carrier argument that says you are just a a a conveyor of bits. Therefore, you have no responsibility for the bits that flow over your platform because you're just conveying them. And in the in the US. Common carrier is, is a legal argument. It, that doesn't exist in the UK. What does that mean, common So, that, so if you're a telco, for example, yeah. and someone does something illegal to another person over your network, you are a common carrier, therefore you cannot be prosecuted per se right. for carrying that traffic. Okay, so I get that. So if somebody puts a pornographic
1: photo or abusive text or whatever, you're just a dumb conduit. Exactly. Okay.
3: And, that, yeah. and that's what the in the – so in the States – that was also ISPs had the same protection and also platforms also had that protection um in the in the UK for example for defamation there, there the, the law is very much broken i'm saying this from an isp point of view but it's very much broken because the if as soon as you notify the Person that is distributing the content that that content is defamatory. If they don't remove it and that it is found to be de- defamatory, they are then liable for the defamation. And that actually came out of a court case of Godfrey versus Demon in 1996. Well, in Germany, that's the same
1: now. Um, in Germany, if you uh, don't remove defa- defamatory material within 24 hours, you can be charged up to 20 million euro.
3: Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah the the content providers all want the protection of in the states because they are a common carrier and over here obviously there the law is different and they they can be liable for the content they they um distribute um and and that is yeah you know, one of the issues and and it's very difficult with user generated content to determine who is liable. In fact, I've just been kicked off a group on Facebook for... That
1: doesn't surprise me.
3: For, for someone, for some, surprise some, me someone posting a picture of Hitler saying oh. uh, on Valentine's Day, saying, sorry, the day after Valentine's Day, even Hitler could get a girlfriend. And I said, I find this offensive.
1: I think I'm with you there.
3: And I was kicked off the group because... I found it offensive. So, you're no longer
1: I, a member of the British National Party? No,
3: no, this was the, <laughs> a group called the Fun Employed, and it was a, a very. It's, it was, it's a group of freelancers and people who do stuff in London. Um, and it's uh, uh, that his argument was because I. And then, because of that post, then unfortunately the anti Semites chipped in with their very nice views, and I reported it to Facebook, and he. Obviously, other people had reported stuff um, and therefore he was banned from Facebook for three days and he thought that was all my fault and therefore I should be kicked out the group. But it shows you, I mean, Facebook obviously do take something seriously because they actually removed the whole set of posts, not just the the ones that were anti-Semitic.
1: Which then goes back to my point. They can... B, editorial. I mean, we all know the algorithm doesn't show us everything. We don't have... So there's the fire hose of Twitter, which is like, oh, my God, you know... We were all on Twitter in the early days. I know that. I mean, I don't know when you joined, Benjamin.
2: Probably. Oh, it was very, very early days. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and the point about it was, you know, we, we, the conversation thread was pretty easy to follow. In fact, I used to have this stupid thing like a Twitter zero. I had to read everything on Twitter that day and just kept it open in on a screen by me. Now I, I don't even go on Twitter. It's just like a rat-a-tat-tat and of noise that hits me even if I unfollow half a gazillion people I still seem to get loads of just brands and artists but but this week Twitter has hidden a tweet so they're acting editorially as well so Twitter has hidden a tweet from an account linked to the Iranian leader which appeared to contain a death threat against the author Salman Rushdie however Twitter has claimed newsworthiness is the reason for doing it, but they've not done the same to Donald Trump. Now, going back to what I was just saying before I get your opinion, so you've got a Twitter feed that is just not algorithmically... Is it? It is. There is, it, it,
2: is it is. It is uh, you know, they, they choose what they're going to prioritize. In right. it Right. So it's some, somewhat like Facebook in that it is effectively technologically editorialized. Right. Um, but
1: Facebook's algorithm is totally uh, editorialized because I know if I go into your stream or I go to your Steve, I'll see posts that I've never seen from you guys. And I go, God, I didn't know anything about that but I only see one snippet of it so
3: I mean you can't uh, there I think in your settings you can actually say display all posts can you I don't I, I believe that because there are okay. when it's when it comes on comments it's it, it actually shows you display you know here are the, the summarized content uh, summarized um, comments but you can click on the show all comments and it's an interesting long road from
2: from common no status. So we kind of take the example of uh, another way of looking at common carriers like the roads. So we, we don't blame the roads for driving the bank robber to the bank um, which means that you know, we've got freedom to, to build out roads without worrying of, of legal liability. But in, you know, in the information world, I'm, I'm conscious in, in my day-to-day, we have to be really careful about how we present data because there's no such thing as neutral presentation. You know, even things like like Twitter has been through a little bit of a redesign um, in terms of where they share their number of followers because actually just where you arrange numbers, even at that level, you're exercising some quite dramatic changes in how people perceive the data. So even at the, the micro level, these platforms are shaping how we think about things, and that's before we get onto the kind of more coarse what they choose as the top news stories, which of people's stories they choose to, to share. They're really shaping that view of the world very specifically for you to keep you engaged, which one means it's unique to you, which is a whole other story, but it does mean that. Unarguably, they're making decisions around what you see and that's a long way away from, you know, they're not the tarmac anymore. They're roundabouts and traffic lights and so it starts to make that conversation around, well, okay, we need to intervene but again, what we don't want to do is end up with an environment where nobody builds roads anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, Facebook removed the news feed because they were getting into that editorial element and I guess, what is the problem if they are editorial? It, It means they have liability, doesn't it? If they go editorial, if they're considered a media platform. As, exactly.
3: Yeah. As, as soon as you have editorial influence, you are then an editor, therefore you are a, you are a media platform. Right. So,
1: Zuckerberg's statement said we consider that data transfer value is Facebook's business model and that we've never sold anyone's data is simply untrue, the committee concluded. So, he's claiming that they've never sold any data and the committee says that's not true. So, how's how is he making that claim?
2: Well, I think this is the, the wonderful um, world of understanding information and, and, and data and the, the you know the, the art of misinformation you know the the obvious thing is to go with something that's untrue but actually the, the clever thing is to go with something that's true and decontextualize it and so a lot of the discussions that are going off and you know to the kind of fake news discussion is actually you take something that's true and strip it of other context so yes it's true they they don't sell data I can't go to Facebook and say sell me data I can go and buy targeted advertising though so, you know what? What actually is my relationship to that data as an advertiser? I didn't necessarily have the data, but I certainly had use of it.
1: Yes. So, so factually, he's right. He never sold the data directly. Okay, interesting. The, I mean, last year um, Facebook was issued with the maximum possible fine under UK data protection laws uh, for failing to safeguard user data from Cambridge Analytica. But Steve, you said earlier that fundamentally they didn't do anything wrong.
3: Um. I well, it. it.
1: <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious. Is did, I, I, did they or didn't it, they? What I mean?
3: They, they utilised Facebook's platform for micro targeting.
1: Right, but Facebook so, ended did, did, did up getting they, fined.
3: Did Cambridge Analytica do anything wrong, according to the rules set by Facebook? No. Did they? Was it morally questionable? Probably yes. But that, but that they actually at the time. I don't, I don't believe broke Facebook's terms and conditions. But they were manipulating huge amounts of data. Therefore, Facebook must have known about it because every time, you know, you do anything on Facebook, they know about it. Yeah.
1: So Facebook's appealing the fine, strangely, uh, saying that um, there's no evidence UK users' data got misused. That's their their defence basically so they're appealing the ICO penalty which was actually a couple hundred thousand I think it was it was yeah, yeah, minor
2: relatively And you know GDPR the new legislation last year has kind of brought in bigger fines but there's still uh, you know a few percent points of worldwide revenue actually for some of these companies given their margin is actually even though it's a huge number is not a large amount of money for them because if you look at the cost you're comparing it with if i start to take uh, editorial responsibility for my data that's a very expensive job and so i think you know there's a couple of things one is actually for folks working with data we almost need to have something where people are trained in stopping and thinking about what what they're doing with the data it's like if somebody did that to you would you be okay with that no well you probably don't want to launch that as a product but then also giving them mechanisms so that if their management are pushing them to do that thing and we're starting to hear things about this now and you know some of the things going off around google where the employees are not happy with what's going off that there's a mechanism that actually they've got some power to go back to the management team and say hey we don't think that we should do this
1: well we are seeing that through uh user generated or employee generated um fight back i guess you know google employees came out on strike saying they didn't want them to use the facial recognition software they didn't want dragonfly the search engine that they were going to put which had sort of a doctored version of google into china so we are seeing a bit of that um Just moving on quickly then. um, The report concludes that um, clear legal liabilities for tech companies to act against harmful or illegal content. The committee calls for a compulsory code of ethics overseen by an independent regulator, which is what you were saying, Steve, basically, that you think there should be a third party in...
3: Well, I I, I, (laughs) I, I, I genuinely don't think that, but I think uh, anything is better than parliamentary regulation where, unfortunately... Many of the laws um, are 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 put in place with people who don't understand the technology, like you know, in the Snooper's Charter with the internet oh. connection records and
1: Mrs. May Snooper's Charter, I- yes. exactly.
3: But you know that <clears throat> they they did um, have uh, have consultations with a very small number of the ISP community, and they did do th- th- this. Thing and then they said we're going to come out. You know, we've, we've consulted. We know it's all clean. We're going to come out with this this, this charter and lo and behold, they have you know there's stuff in there that is virtually impossible to actually implement or is phenomenally expensive to implement. And I think that's the, the the trouble is that the regulators technology is changing so fast and they don't understand the technology. So if it is regulated by parliament, it will be a sledgehammer to crack a nut and that sledgehammer, you know, is going to just smash everything. Um, it's not going to be particularly um, s- specific to f- fight the actual issues that are there. Um, and the only reason I say an, an independent body is because that will, if it was independent and made up by the right people, they would understand the problem and have more, more of an understanding than a random set of MPs that will just go bang, this is what you have to do.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, I don't think, don't think our elected MPs should be overseeing this at all, but, but you know, there but are technical but if, experts but, out there who could do it.
2: <coughs> it's, it's an interesting resourcing one, because if you look now, and I think the ICO have made some public statements on quite how much of their staff are consumed with with dealing with the Facebook case, and it's a huge proportion of, of their staffing, and, and that's not cheap to resource, by the way, and Meanwhile, actually, whilst we've got the big companies that we look at, there's a whole tier of companies underneath that as well who probably want watching, and that's a huge amount of resource. So we need some way of putting some governance behind this that isn't going to you know, spend all our tax money on, on that, but that is made up of experts, but with a degree of independence who can represent the general public and, and be the middle space between those of us who use these products as non-technical users and the technical folks coming up with these amazing things that we can do now.
1: So, um, among the other things that they're also talking about, uh, which is quite interesting in this report, is the fact that they've, they're going to... Well, A, they call them digital gangsters, which I thought was quite interesting, um, but they're also going to change... The government's forthcoming white paper on online harms will set out a new framework for ensuring disinformation is tackled effectively while respecting freedom of expression and promoting innovation. That is just impossible, isn't it? How do you... That's, that line between disinformation protection data and allowing it to have enough rope for innovation i mean again i think we get my worry is we're over legislating now too early into the internet era um because it's an easy win for governments to be seen to be doing things um you know wh- how old's facebook 20 years not even that is it it's 10 years old 10 years old <laughs> yeah it's, it's not even a teenager in terms, I mean, are we, are we literally going every time they do something but wrong? The,
3: but then what teenager has, what is it, one-seventh of the pop world's population as part of it? Well, and the
2: amount of time that people spend on it, the amount of viable time that it, it has is actually quite phenomenal to go from, you know, a few people in the room, we were talking about startups, you know, a few decades ago to being this kind of global business across many different cultures that have got different sensitivities, um trying to grapple w- with all of that it's you know there's a bit of backfill required and i think some of that's societal as well in in terms of this can't be all on the tech companies that certainly some of it needs to be but some of it comes down to the people using the platforms as well and, and how we behave and hold them to account and hold ourselves to account on the platforms as well
1: yeah i mean we, we okay i'm totally pretty much 90 percent an open book you can find my mobile number email probably my house address if you look hard enough it's all online. I, I'm i in this, you know, um, who was the Scott McNeely's book, you know, privacy's over, get over it. You know, it's out there, done. Um, where do you guys sit? Do you think privacy is still something that you cherish and think you're going to protect or can protect?
3: Um, you can. Um, obviously, you know, there are efforts to bring about a new internet which is siloed and where those silos are your data and you control what, uh, what, what goes up. Berners- this, this is Tim berners Lee, Solid. Pot- potentially Tim <laughs> berners Solid. And the, but there are other ones as well, based on uh, uh, crypto and um, blockchain and all sorts of people trying to do some clever stuff. Uh, you know, there's. Uh, I, I think there's one that is uh, something called like Open Book, which did a Kickstarter campaign and they uh, actually... Did a Kickstarter campaign, then decided to not to do it because actually no one wanted a web app anymore. They wanted a mobile app because most people do access stuff through mobile. Um, and then they redid a Kickstarter campaign. And go, we're going to build this brand new social network that you are control of your data. And the you know they got some funding and they're building a mobile app. And, and I'm sure they get some users for it. But you know there's been all these social networks out there trying to do the next better thing than Facebook and, and, and Twitter and and, 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 and well no, I think
1: there tw- was one that tried to be the next Twitter.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, 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 there's been a few, and I, th- you know, I think the big trouble is that these want these things. The sorry, the existing platforms have got so much traction that anyone coming along, unless they do something so revolutionary different, they just ships that sail in, the, in 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 the night and going past. While you know, Twitter and and Facebook have got so many people using it that. It just makes it very difficult not to use it. The diseconomies of, of scale, yeah. and it's it's an
2: interesting one. Sam, to your point, I think I was like you. I think in the early days of blogging, yeah, everything was was out there, and yeah, in working with companies and other folks that we work with, what has become really evident to me over the last decade is not everyone has that ability to do that um, you know, if you're working with vulnerable adults actually you've got to protect their privacy oh no, I mean, so it, it's one of those things that actually it's, there's, there's a range of different needs and what we've got are these very big platforms designed around kind of one specific use case and actually different people have different needs and different needs at different times and that's the digital world still adapting to that so, I and mean, when we think about our digital legacy trail there's stuff that you know,
1: oh, our digital footprints all over the place Yeah,
2: things that i wrote when i was 13 is are still there that was the last century and, right. I'm, <laughs> and I'm not even going to go back mm-hmm. and look for them um so you know, we're we're still adapting to this and, and figuring it out and you know we we're only just beginning to learn as you say two decades in human terms is not a lot you know that's that's one set of kids growing up through that cycle um we're still figuring out what what all this stuff means um and how will we look back on this stuff in 10 20 years time it's about regulating it in a way that works for the long term as opposed to kind of short-term interventions which is always a temptation um but this this stuff isn't easy okay so trying to wrap up this so the uk parliament has said naughty naughty
1: facebook they they didn't really protect user data they were a bit naive uh they allowed cambridge analytica intangently to get access to the data um they've been fined which is minuscule uh, Mark Zuckerberg's saying he didn't sell any data. There's nothing wrong. Crack on. We don't want to come and see you, the UK government. So we're, we're sending our culture minister to go and see Mark Zuckerberg this week, by the way. That'll be useful. Um, God knows what she's going to say to him, but yes.
3: Um, so, uh, well, we we have a, an ex-MP who now is the Facebook Global Policy.
1: Yes, MP is tangential. Ex-Deputy ex- Prime Minister, is he? Indeed,
3: yes. Uh, so therefore, Clegg. He, must, he must be putting his... UK opinion into Facebook to that they're going to solve all the all the UK problems by him being in there. Now, you know, it requires some cooperation,
2: doesn't it? I think that's that's the thing that has become clear because we've had the UK putting fines in, we've had France, we've had Germany. Actually, we need a bit of global cooperation because I, I have a thing with my kids, which is you can say sorry and that's fine, but sorry means I won't do it again. And I think that's where we've got to with Facebook. It's like, you've said sorry, but you don't do it again.
1: But they don't do the thing they've done again, again, right? They just break the next thing again. And they, they, they are like... our children, you know, the the ruly child who says, okay, I won't do this, Daddy, and then they do something else. And they're sorry for that something else. Um look, I you know I I I enjoy using Facebook for what it is. Okay, it's it's uh great for putting up posts, seeing what friends are doing occasionally, whatever. I call it fake book at home, you know, because fundamentally uh I, I remember meeting a friend in the real world and finding out about you know their cancer and various other things that were going on in their life which they never posted they only post the good stuff so that's why i call it fake book in that sense but um facebook obviously uh okay it's in a lot of trouble and we'll keep an eye on what's going to go but scott galloway who's a, a brilliant professor over in the usa um was saying that facebook and google and the others should start to be broken up they're too large are they too large to fail? Can they be broken up like Microsoft was given, um, you know, issues that they had to, with the browser, do you remember?
2: It um, was, and there was a, you know, by today's terms, it was a relatively minor thing. Exactly. They, 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 took they put over, a browser you know, they included a browser, which I don't <laughs> think people would, would blink twice about. No. So it's an interesting one that it, it kind of feels like it's reached that point, and that certainly seems to be the vibe from a lot of governments.
1: Yeah, well, I call it the creepy line. How far do we push it? You know, what was acceptable, and then we go, oh, that's wrong, and then uh, three months later, it's okay. You know, it's gone beyond the creepy line. we get used to it. So should Facebook be broken up? WhatsApp, Instagram, should it be split back up? or Because they're trying to merge the back-end messaging at the
3: moment. Well, I don't think... Well... Yes they are and no they're not. Yes they they I mean sorry, obvi- Steve obvi- make your mind up. Obvi- <laughs> yes they are they, they, no they they're are not. Degree- they they are changing them all to use the same messaging protocol. So Yeah, securely. So WhatsApp uses an end-to-end protocol which is based on the Signal protocol um which was developed by Whisper Systems and it's a secure end-to-end protocol. If you change your phone, WhatsApp allows you to do that. If you have the right settings on, you can see that someone's changed their phone because it will come up saying their security code has changed. But they've made it easier so that they... Because WhatsApp, in theory, if you change your phone and you then... Because your security code has changed, there is then no way for you to get those messages that were in the chats in the past. Right. So they've slightly nobbled the protocol to make it more... Easy for people to change phones. Protocol light. It's it's use the, the basic secure protocol, but they've done some some tweaks to allow people to change because people, especially kids, change phones all the time. Yeah. Um, so Facebook Messenger was on Facebook's own internal thing and and um, Instagram is on its own. So they're now changing those Protocols so that they are all based on the I would guess the WhatsApp I think I believe the whatsapp the signal yeah, protocol, and whether they interoperate still hasn't been said now that would be that would actually be sort of game changing because in the past, Facebook definitely has intercepted Facebook messages and based targeted advertising on the content of those messages as as happens or used to happen on gmail yes um so at the moment, they've re- resisted doing that on WhatsApp. So WhatsApp, it's end-to-end. There's no advertising driven within the chat. But there H- will be. How, however, I, whether they'll be directly in WhatsApp or whether your conversation on WhatsApp will change the advertising you get on Facebook... Don't know. They'll be, so the, well, they'll be, uh, you they'll be not it? selling your data, and that's what it will be. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're, they're, they're retargeting your data
2: internally. But I well, think it's, it's interesting because you come down to some fundamentals, I think, and we're starting to get some clarity now. So one is, who has access to my data? Is question one. And then the second thing is, who has control over them? It's kind of question two. And then question three is, how do I hold them accountable? And the the thing is, we already have some existing laws, particularly around anti-competition, that I think can be used quite well here because there's the issue of, can the media companies, can the press hold these folks to account? Can the public hold them to account? If not, something else needs to be done. And then real clarity around, well, what access do the organisations have access to? and who has control over them. And that last bit, I think, has been uh, not as well dealt with. I mean, GDPR has been great in terms of making the public more aware of you know, what data is, where it's going, but we still don't have full transparency about where it's going. I, was, I used the website yesterday and you know, the whole click on the cookie thing and looked at the list of companies where the data was going, there's 130 companies. I can't go and check what each one of those is. That, you know, we clearly need a more workable solution around that, because I think if there's transparency,
3: then people really quickly start to realise, actually, I'm not happy with that. And, then- and it is quite weird. If you look at some of these companies that they are in Indonesia, and, and you know I've never been to Indonesia, why would some... Mm company in Indonesia have been tracking my my advertising looks and, and stuff like that. It's like, and in Russia and in um, wherever, you know, but they are it's a global... Well, they're a harvesting. Sense.
1: They're not tracking. They're really harvesting you. Again. Yeah. They're just harvesting you as a data point and then once they've got enough data in, they can make uh, suggestions against it, maybe later down the road. They're just harvesting right now. Um, but, but the point of that is so Facebook, we know, is trying to merge its back end. At least that's its stated intent. That's probably why the CEO is from wait, wait, from WhatsApp and Instagram walks recently. They've both left, or, or three left, I should say, two from WhatsApp and one from Instagram. Um, Instagram is the new darling of the three. That's where all the kids are hanging out right now. It's us grandpas really hanging out in Facebook land still. Uh, kids, My kids certainly do not go on Facebook. They wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Um, they still a Snapchat and Instagram world. Um, but if they're allowed to merge, they just become, I think it's 2.3 billion active daily users at one point if you merge those three platforms together
2: it's it's terrifying numbers isn't it i think the the interesting question is how we enable innovation to happen and if you go back in the the history of the internet the interesting thing was it was all about interoperability and interchangeable components and and choice and the fact is now we're getting to a point where actually i don't have a choice of what platform i use and where the data goes because it is kind of becoming one or one or two or three, and that's not really a choice, and there isn't the ability to swap these things out. So actually, maybe it's looking at how we regulate these businesses to drive more innovation and let the next generation of tech companies come up, um, because whilst they're aggregating it, it makes it harder and harder for new folks to come into the market, especially if the folks are locked out of those systems. If I want to build something that's going to work with WhatsApp or get into that data, I've very limited ability to do that as a technology company.
1: So, okay. So let's assume that the, the anti-competition guys might stop them. Going back to what Scott Galloway said this week, um he basically was saying that uh they should be broken up even further. Um not just Facebook, but the other ones as well because um it's the price or the cost of social media that he is saying is escalating. And we go, well, all of these things are free, aren't they? You don't pay to use Facebook and to pay to use google but what you do pay for i guess is bullying from our kids the social cost uh, uh, and the fake news that's going through these platforms but also if you're an advertiser the cost of advertising is going up is getting i mean these companies make billions they don't make billions from having a free platform someone must be paying what he's saying is these companies are getting too big to fail now so do you would you advocate i guess facebook being split would you advocate Google getting rid of YouTube, Amazon I, I, getting rid of Amazon Web Services?
3: I mean, you know, there are various things like, you know, YouTube splitting away from Google would be an actually reasonably painless split because it's a separate operating entity anyway. Um, within Facebook, I think separating bits of Facebook would be much more difficult because it is a platform and that platform is, there aren't just separate bits that, that, are built out of it. It is a platform. Yes, they could force Snap, um, Instagram, and WhatsApp to go away again and be separate entities. But the actual core Facebook platform is the core Facebook platform. So I think that it would be much harder to split.
1: No, okay. So maybe we can't split Facebook up, but you know, could YouTube be split off from Google Search? I mean, wh- what
3: what was? What about the- Google? Uh, you know, YouTube Search is the second most searched system compared to, to Google search. Well, yeah, the
2: interesting thing becomes is that anybody who has the power and authority to, to order the breakup of these organisations. Well, organizations? you say
1: that this week the, in Brussels, Google, Amazon and other tech firms will have to tell how their companies rank their own rival products on their platforms under new rules. So at the moment, for example, Google has a massive issue um, uh, where it puts up its own products first. Uh, above other people's in search results. Um, Amazon is very good at, you know, um, even if you're using an Alexa, you know, if you want batteries, it doesn't quite happen here in the UK, but it is in the US. You know, I say, you say, I want some batteries, Alexa. Uh, Sorry if I've triggered everyone's Alexa, then. Um, uh, uh, Hopefully you've got your security code and I won't be ordering new batteries. But um, you can, literally, but it will recommend you, rather than the branded batteries, its own version. Um, And so the EU is actually, the negotiators are saying, they're aimed at stopping unfair practices on platforms and they're going to bring in regulation to stop them being able to do that. So we are seeing, going back to your point, benjamin earlier you know technology happens in a massively quick wheel and government and law is a slow wheel that eventually catches up so i think we're beginning to see a little bit of that slow wheel catching up so the uk parliament but you're right do they have any teeth can they actually do anything to stop facebook um the germans seem to have a lot more teeth you know they, they 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 stick they stick it to these guys pretty quickly and and start Putting big fines in place, and maybe we need to do the same. Um,
3: I but- mean, they they can very briefly, but they obviously they there are Facebook is an entity in the UK with directors and and uh, commercial you know and and officers of the company, and those officers of the company can be made to c- comply with any UK regulation, and if they don't, they can go to jail for it. Um, I'm sure you know Facebook isn't going to start doing. Uh, you know, if if the government really cracked down and said this is what is happening you have to comply um you know facebook isn't going to let it's 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 <laughs> send its uk officers to to, to to the wolves and send them to jail for five well, years, in italy, or 10 years
1: in italy i think it was facebook's guys were sent to jail literally sent to jail um and i think they've had to pay a hefty fine to get them out i mean last year google was hit with a 2.42 billion euro fine for EU antitrust in 2017 for favouring its own price comparison
3: shopping service over other people. Which which they're appealing, obviously.
1: And, and it will never be paid. It'll be appealed and appealed and appealed. Uh, and that's, I guess, the problem.
2: Um, well, it, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting point. isn't it? Because you kind of talked about breaking up on one side, but on the other, other side, I think governments are starting to do a good job of hitting them with a stick um, to convey a message that there are certain behaviours that are okay and certain behaviours that aren't okay. I think it's going to be interesting now as we kind of reach the, the next phase. It's kind of watch... With accumulation, with it's always watching the unintended consequences, isn't it? And so if you break these organisations up, what are you left with then? Because we're very focused on the US, um, but the demographic trends point to other parts of, of the world and we're starting to see some of some new market entrants in in the uk now where perhaps it w- won't be facebook amazon that we're talking about in in two or three years time it'll be a different set of names really you think there's going to be challenger companies well i i yeah if you look to the asian markets there are companies there and a network that is substantial and very aggressive and, and growing rapidly um, you know, Facebook was a tiny company once. Amazon was once. Um, there's no reason that somebody with a really large home market, China, doesn't doesn't come and move into the UK market. And I think we're starting to see that now.
1: Well, I'm glad you raised that point because it was one of the things. I think we've lost Steve. Are you okay there? Yeah, Steve? no, yeah.
3: I've just got my one. I'm trying to. Find, I've got some earphones somewhere. This ah. one, one, one head. One ear. Sorry,
1: yeah. After the news, we'll sort you out, Steve. We've got the news in five minutes. Um, uh, so one of the things i do want to raise with you the the, the idea that you know we split google facebook apple uh into smaller components to allow more competition because obviously facebook's acquisition of instagram prevented that competitor challenging them and equally with whatsapp and they did try and buy snapchat they just couldn't buy it now um But you mentioned the the Western companies, Tencent, Alibaba. I doubt very much the Chinese government is going to split those companies up or even care. They want them to be as dominant as possible and come to the West to take them on.
2: Well, yes, I think we can argue that. I think, these, yeah, I think well, the one that's been in the news this week is is, uh, is is Huawei, which has kicked off a huge deal of uh, controversies certainly in the, in the US um, with the arrest of company offices. Um, in the UK, um, yeah, the, the UK government's taken a, a different angle, but it, it's interesting that when you get these large businesses, again, it comes down to governance and oversight. Again, who's got your data and who's got access to that? Yeah. That's not just a commercial thing, that's a government thing as well. Well oh,
1: Huawei, however you say it, is Why the we... is the five G uh well, technology. No, no. Pat- so
3: that Pat- so Huawei uh, do everything. So if you go to their the warehouse in Shenzhen, which is the size of five football pitches, you know, one end of it is the consumer stuff, one end of it is phones, one end of it is cool network equipment, one end of it you know, one bit of it is um GSM, one bit of it is five G. They but they cover Literally, uh, the the whole mobile network, from consumer to operator and internet operators, and all the core equipment for internet as well. I think to contextualise um, that people, say so people are probably very
2: familiar with that with the the handsets, which yeah. is a very visible end of it. But actually, it's you know, it's it's the, the base stations, the equivalent of the, the tarmac roundabouts and traffic lights and everything in between
3: is essentially what and, they. And they all make the control the systems that go around <laughs> it as well. So not just the traffic lights, but the the whole smart city. Okay. So is, it really is a- access to a, to a lot of the data. Yeah, in, in I mean, the
2: products. Australian
1: government's challenging it, but but the UK government this week looks like it's going to allow Huawei to implement its 5G technology in terms of its hardware. Um, so are you saying that the, the American one is just purely a, a, a trade issue?
3: I think uh, ge- geopolitics plays a huge part. Right. Um, y- well, y- I think while we have actually said to the UK government, you know, we're happy for you to look into um, into our software and, and make sure, you know, we're not there's no snooping stuff in there. Um, but it's you know, they are such a large company with such a large range of products that you really have to take some somewhat take their word for it well if you look you know they they are definitely have done some dubious stuff in the states and uh you know they there was this whole thing with they allegedly stole technology from t-mobile um they allegedly were talking to this company that makes a a diamond coating for glass which gives it a hundred times the strength so it's virtually impossible to scratch that is based on nanotechnology which in theory this should not be exportable because it comes under whatever ITAR agreements um it shouldn't have gone to it – sh- it was allowed to go to China, but they were meant to non-destructively test it. it. And lo and behold, when they sent the stuff back to this company, which then the FBI got involved, this you know, this whole this, – the screen was scratch was broken, with bits missing, which meant that Huawei had taken bits out and were analysing it to build it themselves, which is against – So, OK, so – Huawei is is
1: one thing we've got to worry about. We have to worry about it because the argument I've heard is that if the Chinese government says to Huawei, right, we need access to all that data or or whatever, they have to do it. They have to hand it over. So if I was the Chinese government going for digital warfare, yeah, let it all get implemented, get this massive, great, big network put out there. And then one day suddenly go, yep, turn it on. Let's take all their data or turn it off more worryingly and let's close Uh, them all down
3: i I think it's much more likely especially in the 5g world that they can use it to target if they really want to intercept someone's phone you know someone's number um you then target the the actual base equipment and go whenever this person makes a call send a copy of it to uh, wherever in china and um that is much harder to track with just the amount of volume of, of, of traffic that is going through all the networks. And that if this tiny stream of traffic is going back to China, you, that will be missed. If it's we're tapping everything, that will be such a glaring abuse of data that that would just be quite visible. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, OK. But my, my point was. I don't think China's going to break up their social media companies either. And they're not going to limit Huawei either. They're going to let them. Whereas we in the West talk about breaking up our companies. It's anti-competitive. Are we being naive? Are we being naive in this world? Maybe. I, actually, I'm not going to ask for your opinion because <laughs> we, we are going to go to the news. And also, when we come back, I do want to talk about these, the European Article 11 which is called the link tax, and the article 13, which is called the copyright tax. So they have big, big implications for the way that the internet might be used going forward. But we've got so much to talk about. And then, of course, there's AR world. And, and again, copyright in AR. Anyway, we're going to the news.
0: You're listening to Sam Sethi on Marlow FM. Don't worry, he'll be back after the news. On 97.5... FM and online this is Marlow FM 97.5. To stand Sessy on Marlow FM. He's got a face for radio. I
1: do indeed, and thank God you can't see it. Anyway, welcome back. Uh, thank you for joining us today on Sound Talks Technology. And I'm joined today, if you haven't heard already, by Benjamin Ellis and Steve Karminski. We've been talking about the UK Parliament's recent report about. Um, Facebook and how, you know, they need to be curbed and they need to be fined and how all sorts of things that they're doing are breaking privacy laws and data laws. Um, But it feels like government is taking over and catching up, maybe not taking over. Um, and trying to curb the power of all of these social media giants like Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple. And we we mentioned briefly that, you know, uh, EU regulation looks like it's going to come in as well to look at how they promote their own products above those of everyone else, which I think is an anti-competitive thing that they're looking at. But there are two very scary EU laws that look like they're coming in. One is called Article 13, sorry, 11. this is the link tax. So let me try and explain what it is, and then we can discuss whether we think it's good or bad. Uh, The link tax will require that anyone who takes a snippet of information from news sites uh, to get a license to do so. So imagine that you're in Google News or newsnow.com, which is the one I use quite a lot. Um, They take the headline of a story and they take a paragraph possibly of the story itself now up until now that's been fine and if you were a blogger or you're a uh somebody who has a, a site like that um it it seems fair usage i mean i think in america they have a fair usage uh capability but it, it looks like the european papers in germany especially and murdoch uh, particularly are getting a little bit shirty saying that google's making money from advertising around their news snippets um and that they want them to get a license for it but isn't this gonna break the internet steve benjamin what do you think
3: i don't think it would break the internet it might break advertising or uh advertising models and and the way content is distributed um i mean i write a blog but i write you you know my own personal content i don't Copy it from other sites. I mean, I do link back to if it's a product, I will link back to the product page. Um, but it's uh, that you know that's actually do you do you attribute? You know, absolutely. And if I'm if I'm writing a review of a product, I go this is what I'm writing about, and here's a link to the actual product. But that's not the same as linking to a piece of news that someone else has written, and me. Utilising that as part of my content, and
2: again, it's, it's the interesting thing of internet regulation is the unintended consequences which tend to to kick in. So, yeah, it, f- it feels like this is going to make life difficult for for bloggers potentially it's certainly not going to aid the kind of spread of of good quality news um but on the flip side we need to find a way of, of paying for media i'm not particularly sure that this is the the best way to go about that and it, it's a good example of if you make regulations around one specific special case then then that usually doesn't have the best outcome for the internet and it's you know it's now another thing for people to have to think about and you know what constitutes something that comes under this article and, and and what doesn't and increasingly it feels like you have to be a lawyer if you're going to write things on the internet but but we used to have something called creative commons does that still exist you certainly if you're publishing content yes you can put stuff onto creative commons and for people who haven't come across that that essentially means giving other people the right to use that content usually on the basis that they attribute to you as the source of it clearly for news outlets they want to and need to monetize their their journalism and um, this is a way for them to do that um i think the challenge is well i i'd like to be paid, perhaps when somebody links to what, to one of my things, do I, do I get that? That It kind of feels like a special privilege for some organisations rather than others. Well, they, they have set the bar fairly high.
1: So, you have to be generating more than £10 million of income. You have to have been older than three years old. So, it's not going to affect you and I as bloggers or smaller companies. It really is targeting the bigger companies. But But the last time that this happened, a Spanish newspaper... Uh, basically said, Google, we don't want you to send us any of our traffic in effect because we don't want you having our data and indexing it. And then they got on their hands and knees and begged to be added back. Germany had a very similar thing and they begged. But it looks like they've gone, right, okay, we can't get you to do it through turning off because that kills all traffic. So we're going to get you another way. We're going to make you pay for content. I think the example that Google gives on their own website is the Liverpool Echo. They put up on the Google News and fundamentally all you saw was a blue link. So he had no context, no information, no value. That will, if, if this link tax comes in, won't that just totally break, totally break Google? Because isn't this search result headline, small snippet, result?
3: I think. <laughs> Have I stumped no, right I, I, I think it's a, a very short-sighted view, and as it, you know, it is a piece of regulation designed to really stop one player. And on on behalf of well, God, Murdoch, it, hates, other hates, other yeah, Murdoch
1: hates Google.
3: Murdoch period hates Google. And and you know, so they they're trying to introduce a regulation specifically to stop one player, which affect, but in a, in a generic way that affects everyone. Yeah. And uh, you know, laws that are based on regulation like that is 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 rubbish. Yeah, and
2: again, it'll be it will be interesting to see how it plays out, and I think it's going to be down to interpretations. But but clearly, what you've got now is two different playing fields: people, you know, media players who who are going to get this link tax and those who aren't, and and people blinking who are going to pay it and people who aren't. So it's kind of a. You
0: know.
2: But if
1: Google don't pay it, they'll get fined. We talked about they got fined for EU antitrust. They will get fined around four billion for not paying it. Um, so will they pay it, or will they just simply just close got, shop and walk off?
3: Or they just keep on arguing it and take the European Court to f- appeal and it will sit there and appeal the appeal and it just goes on forever?
1: Well I mean after GDPR came in a lot of the US newspapers simply said we're not going to serve content to Europe it's just too difficult so we'll stop
2: And and, and have still got those blocks in place to this day
1: Yeah. So are we as Europeans or soon not to be Europeans sadly, um, uh, are we going to be um, basically uh, you know, uh, given sorry, my brain <laughs> couldn't think of the right word. Then it was like, "Come on, brain, catch me up." Um, are we going to be given the limited value in terms of seeing content? So, are we going to have reduced services? That's the word I was looking for.
3: I think yeah. I think if it, if it genuinely comes into play and people don't allow this, it's you're gonna. Search will be will be marginalised.
1: So, it, but would that open? And see, this is where it comes interesting. Does that then open the door for another search provider to suddenly go okay? And I don't can't think of a European search provider, but for one to appear, who will pay a link tax,
2: or small enough not to pay? It.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or does this mean? So, so the, the problem I've got is I think we've got a model where newspapers who were cash-rich, making lots of revenue from classifieds, offline newspaper delivery, have had their model totally smashed. I mean, I don't read papers, I haven't bought a paper in years, I don't care about it. I care about journalism, but I don't care about the physical paper. I, I, I'll happily read it on whatever medium. Um, because this week also just in line with that um the cairn cross dame Frances cairn cross has been appointed to review the sustainability of high quality journalism in the uk and what they're looking at is on top of this link tax is adding another tax to social media companies for them to pay to maintain journalism of companies that aren't actually there so facebook has put a three hundred million pound fund together in the USA, and the UK wants them to do similarly in the UK. That would be doled out to local uh, journalism. You know, round here would be like the Maiden Advertiser or Marlowe Press. And um, you know, are we just trying to strip these companies of all their money because there isn't any money elsewhere? And say, right, you're bad, right? You, but you've got lots of money, so we're just going to put loads and loads of taxes in to fix problems. Of what is fundamentally a broken business model.
2: Well, we, we, we kind of—it's an interesting one that came across the report I, from a personal point of view. It's, it's fascinating in terms of how governance works. So, I, simply put, historically, we've had you know, local uh, journalists who, are perhaps not the, the world's most favoured and smiled upon, but who've done quite a good job of, of exposing local corruption and you know, yeah. getting stories on things. What's happened is that. The online companies have come in and essentially taken all of their revenue you know all of that money that goes in online digital advertising came from somewhere yeah. um, and that 's been amassed into the facebooks and, and googles and they 're not contributing back to journalism which you can probably almost look like as a social tax if you want society to work you need somebody who's got the time to investigate you know are people doing what they should do if somebody's doing something naughty are people aware and that's not just the, the police thing but it's just you know, more generally exposing things that not not necessarily breaking the law to where we started with earlier on but probably things that people shouldn't be doing so you need journalism to to do that you've got to fund that somehow and facebook and google aren't paying into that pot right they're, they're not funding that but they've but taken all the money to pay into the pot. they mean, took all job... the money out of the pot right that's... but that's
1: called business it's called competition isn't it
2: again it's competition if there are alternatives and i think this is where we're we're veering towards is if if there there is a competitive market and that's a dynamic that creates the right behaviours. If there isn't a competitive market and right now for digital advertising, I think it's a very interesting question that's been looked into is it a competitive market?
1: Well there's three big players right now, Amazon, Google and Facebook, at least so there's at least three competitors in the market
2: Yes, but if you look at their market shares the European Commission certainly is taking a, a fairly strong view that perhaps one of those players <laughs> is more dominant than the others, so if you've got a dominant player in that market and they're they're not contributing back into it, then then there needs to be some form of intervention. So this, this, this brings me back to a point that i've had for years so any of us set up a company
1: did you know that there's a limit to how big we can get because that's what you're saying. You can't get too big. If you get too big, we'll break you up. So where is the limit? So are we saying that companies can only grow so big and then they must be broken up because they do just a really good job of winning their market space?
2: No. So, again, the issue is when they're, you know, the regulation law, what you look at when you break them up is not when they're doing a great job, it's when they're doing a bad one. So it's not about size. It's about whether they're using that size to compensate for their performance.
1: And I agree. We just talked about the fact that the EU is looking at the fact they're promoting their products within search or promoting their products within the product results above others unfairly. And I get that part. You know, are you a search engine or are you a set of services, Google? You know, flight tickets, cinema tickets. I mean, this week, Facebook...
3: But that's the trouble. Google are both... And they are
1: so that so you're arguing now that they should be split
3: up, Well, I'm just saying it doesn't <laughs> require that they are they you know they are that's the thing is they have a, a business function which is search, they have a business function which is advertising, they have a business function that is um words and and ad ad sense and they they're, they're all these different things, but they are highly integrated and it doesn't require breaking up. What it requires is an agreement
2: and a commitment to be fair. So what that means is that you give other companies equal access to that. And again, I think particularly for business tech businesses, this is really important, right? As a small two-man tech business, actually, I should have access to the the services that Google can provide or Facebook provides and perhaps some of that data even on a level footing with a multinational, if you look at what went off with a lot of this data sharing that was quite questionable, it was really large companies using you know, questionably undue influence and and playing a game that the small ones couldn't. If you make that a level playing field and say, actually, we're going to make this open for everyone, right? So to the things like the link tanks, if you made it a system and said, you know what? Anyone who publishes content that is holding government to account or investigative, you can apply to this pool and you can have some money out of that pool and anyone can do that anyone publishing content has to put an amount in based on their revenue not thresholds because i think that that encourages some pretty poor gaming behavior so it's not size it's about the kind of behaviors that we allow and enforce with big tech companies and
1: can i just point out we can't tax these companies so amazon basically made 216 Mm. billion and paid zero in federal tax this year this quarter
3: yeah uh, sorry
1: last year not this quarter last year so i mean uh, you know, and Google, again, very similarly paid very little tax. I mean, Facebook's paying minimal. I mean, they're all using the either the, 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 the double-dutch legal loopholes or they're going to Ireland, blah, blah, blah. It's it's um, fantasy land. We are sitting here listening to governments talk fantasy rubbish. We're going to do this. Well, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't turn up. OK, we're going to fine you. We're not going to pay it. We're going to do this to you. Well, go good luck. We're not going to do it. Are they too big to fail now?
2: Well, and the, and the I think the final loop on that is what impact and effect they have on democracy. Because if you have a point where you say, "Well, look, actually, you know, we need to tax you because you're you're taking revenue out of our economy, and you know, you're not you're not paying your fair share. They're paying legally their fair share, right? Exactly, but it, which is but, what they say.
1: We only pay what's legal. So, shouldn't governments fix the legal? Yeah, tax I mean, I think situation you know, if, first. If
3: you look at the Amazon issue, it's because whichever Jobs Act or whatever the uh, Trump. Yeah implemented the act that to specifically give tax relief to big corporations because we're going to make America great. And isn't that great that all these big corporations don't have to pay more? It's just, and by the way, we're also going to give you an, a, a tax allowance because you're doing all this great stuff, by employing people and whatever. So suddenly, you know, legally, Amazon don't have a bill to pay but, because they've done a deal with the government that says we, we're not, you, not, we're, we're not going to pay you because you've said... You don't want us to, you know, we've done all these deals that are saying you don't need to pay us. Yeah, it's not, you know, as a
2: company director, you're obliged to be as tax efficient as you can. And that's fair and right and your legal responsibility. So good on them. But it's down to the local tax regime. And we have things like transfer taxes. There's a whole set of mechanisms where you can enforce that tax. The issue is if the company then turns around and says, well, do you know what? We're going to block access in your market. Yeah, exactly. And so the population says, oh, hang on, we're not happy about that. It's not a politically, you know, attractive Well, Ireland, move. Ireland's prime example. You
1: know, <clears throat> they could have got back, I think, uh, several billion from Apple. And they went, no, no
3: Apple, seriously, we don't want your money because stick around. We don't want you to leave. Well, no, because they got sued by understate aid funding regulations. And yes. in theory, that fine is still there. But yeah.
1: they don't want it. Because no, no I, they want, I, don't, I don't want it because
3: they want Apple, Apple. Apple to, you know, who got their headquarters in Cork and they've yeah. got how many employees based out of there and the new building in Dublin and whatever and whatever. It's, it's that they, they are providing a huge amount of revenue in taxes for uh, people paying, it, you know, income tax and whatever. And for that revenue to go away is probably greater than the revenue that they wow. would have earned from and all the data centers they host there and whatever. It's you know it is a, it is obviously for Ireland tax efficient. It yeah. just it just breaks state aid regulations and and the you know the EU have de- de- decided that them giving tax breaks to Apple. Was was breaking state aid regulation.
1: Okay, so I've got two quick points <laughs> on this. <clears throat> One is we are uh, we can't get European harmonisation of taxes. Ireland won't allow it. And two, uh, Amazon HQ2 in New York this week. Yeah, um, the local government and the federal government in, in st- sorry state government. I don't know the levels of American uh, bureaucracy. Uh, were all for it though, but the local people said uh-uh, we don't want you, uh, and so. Amazon aren't building in New York, so what I'm trying to say is, you know, you've got all these nice things where Ireland want Apple, and because the income tax, but in New York they don't want Amazon, and there's no chance that Ireland's ever going to allow harmonisation of tax. So there's too many loopholes everywhere.
2: Well, in some ways, this is a sign of the fact that kind of tech has come of age because these aren't necessarily, these aren't tech problems. These are big company problems. And the, and the Amazon one is a, a, a classic one for anyone who's, who's missed the fun and games. Amazon ran a competition for, for the location of their uh, their you know, secondary headquarters, effectively, a big prize for any city who could attract that in terms of inward investment. They changed the, the name of the game halfway through and kind of split it into two. And then when they went into those markets, of course, what happens is they transform the real estate prices so the local residents were hey hang on a second um so it's been a a sorry show from from beginning to end but the point is ironically you're doing the opposite of technology you know technology lets people work from everywhere um but you've got a big tech company moving a mass population into a city and having an incredible impact on its its local economy nothing to do with them being a tech company it's just a massive employer and again you know it starts to be what's the relationship between government and business and how does technology play into that um a lot of these companies are just behaving like big companies
1: Or are they? I mean, I I love your point there because big company challenges, but these are the biggest ever companies that have existed. The four of them, they're they're close to the trillion dollars. So are we at the point where we just don't know what to do with them because they're so big and we've never had that problem? Or or is it a case of uh, we are seeing the breakup of what I would call um, government control, you know, by country? Are we having to change and become... I don't know. You know, is the internet now a country in its own world, above all countries? You know, well, I think that, with its own that, separate that laws? was the
3: original purpose for the internet. It, it's that, you know in, initially it was this thing that that did transcend governments and did transcend countries. It was as a an, a neutral network that it was in fact you know not even a neutral network. It was a loose connection of uh, you know when I joined in 1994, 19- it was very few, but then uh, as it grew it was a loose collection of 30,000 networks that happened to agree to talk to each other and and it, it, th- there was no government control because it was literally a random group of networks that used the same kind of networking technology and they all plugged into each other and they allowed the, the free, free movement of information and that, um, there's actually a really interesting article about how Unfortunately, the internet is based on old telephony, the way that telephony works. Right. And, and the new internet isn't based, the, the or the, the internet now doesn't operate in a manner which works like telephony networks. So you have big content providers and you have consumers of content. They don't necessarily... Need the the bits in between that the if the content provider can get directly into your home to to deliver that content they will, and therefore the the sort of the internet becomes a just a conduit. But it's let it. But it's it's if if you look at things like the CDNs, that are out their content delivery networks. You know they are desperately you know trying to get as close to the end user as possible, and it almost negates the need for an internet. Per se, because all the big content providers, which is Facebook, Amazon, Google, Apple, you know, they they have their built their own networks that that go from them to the yeah cloud so, uh,
1: cloudflare yeah it's, as, it's as got close their own network. as
3: close to the end user as possible yeah, it's, so, it's so so the internet man. no longer is is you know what w- what will come out in internet two you know is going to be driven by the content providers and not by the people who are providing the access it, mm. it's interesting how it's become what it, it wasn't so the early days the
2: internet certainly as a, as a business owner it was fantastic right you could be a one person business and and access customers anywhere in the world and it was this amazing thing that leveled the playing field for businesses on, the, on a global basis you could be a UK business and compete as well as a US one or, or one mm-hmm. anywhere else in the world and that was a fantastic thing and it led to a huge yeah, amount of the innovation instead, they
1: didn't know you are a dog
2: exactly <laughs> and we have one here um, on the on the flip side, what we've got now is actually the economies of scale that the internet has enabled, has has allowed potentially undue influence and now we need to find a way of addressing that balance and unlocking the next wave of innovation with these technologies. We've done a great job of eliminating the effect of distance. Yeah, you know, the internet has shrunk the world dramatically and we're now figuring out what that means. We don't know what that means yet for data because it's different than property. If if I take data, you've still got it. It's not like if I steal a pen and I can go, ah, oh, I've got your pen. We're still figuring that out. And we're also figuring out how everyone on the planet lives in a really, really small space and coexists. And that space is the internet where we, we run into people that we wouldn't have done before. And we're still figuring out how that works. Okay, so link tax, bad. Bad is what we think. Thumbs down. A thumbs down to
1: the link tax, but that I'm sadly think is going to happen. We're fast running out of time, but I really do want to quickly cover the copyright tax as well. Um, this is one where, again, uh, you will have to have a license uh, to play other people's copyright. Now, I. If, if, for example, I'm just going to play this little snippet and then we'll talk about it. Let me show you this. Now, this is not just Tom Jones, this is Carlton doing his dance in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and he famously just does that one dance. Anyway, we'll leave Carlton to do his dance. Now, Fortnite actually created an avatar to do the dance and basically Carlton tried to sue them uh, for copyright of his dance and lost. But the copyright tax law, if it comes into the EU, will mean that uh, he might actually be able to go back and get a copyright on his content. It's So the copyright law, um, again, could affect companies uh, such as Google quite heavily. Um, you know, is what would YouTube... T- I mean, it's called the meme law, you know, because we take stuff from others, we mix and match it, and we try and put it all together. But if this copyright law comes in, you won't be able to take bits of content. How do you feel about it? Um,
3: it's, it's a bad thing. Um, but, you know, it's it's like, you know, if you patent something, you can't patent an idea. You have to patent a thing. So... It's, it's an interesting one. We talked about
2: legislation lagging behind technology, and I think we've got actually one here where the legislation's run a little bit ahead of the technology because mm. it's actually really hard. I mean, some of the responsibilities around detecting copyright material, it, it, you know, the technology is, is just not there yet. Well, sadly, we've run out of
1: time. Steve, Benjamin, thank you very much. We could have talked about this forever and a day.
0: Thank you. Sam, that show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week, same time, same place.